Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Eurotrip, your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Hello then. Hello again. It's great to be back. <laughs> it is great to be back, isn't it? Uh, hello everyone. I'm Rob. This is James. You're listening to The Eurotrip Podcast. And James, it's early August and here we are. I know, yeah. This is the uh, three-year anniversary, isn't it, since we, we started the podcast for the very first time back in the summer of 2020. And we're back again three years later for a brand new series, potentially a little bit earlier than we thought we'd be back with you. I don't think this counts as the new series. I think this is, you know, like how in the football you have like a pre-season friendly. I think this is us just warming up for everything <laughs> to come in 2024. Because, and this won't have escaped your attention, we are talking right now to you on this, we love the phrase, emergency podcast because, of course, the BBC and tap music are no more. James, like a love-struck pair of teenagers, it's ended in tears on the dance floor <laughs> at the end of a night with the smoke machine going off in the background. James Tap and the BBC, it's all over. Yeah, indeed it is. It was a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Uh, It was about lunchtime on Tuesday, so the 1st of August, that Tap Music, which is the record label run by a guy called Ben Mawson, who the BBC have teamed up with over the last couple of years, uh, they've decided to terminate their deal, their partnership with the BBC and their Eurovision team, uh, a deal that saw them go off and look for an artist, look for a song that would end up representing the UK and the BBC at Eurovision. And now, after just two years... It's over. Yeah, we will hear a little bit of Ben Mawson here on the podcast a little bit later on. We'll hear what he had to say when Tap were first announced as pairing with the BBC 
That was back in the autumn of 2021. So we'll hear a little bit of what he had to say back then. We're also going to be joined by a couple of industry experts to find out more about what they're thinking, about what might happen in the future, and also to get their reactions. Uh, They are Nick Levine, who is a pop culture and LGBTQ plus writer for the likes of NME, Time Out, and The Independent. And of course, a man that needs no introduction in Eurovision circles. He is Paul Jordan, Dr. Eurovision, if you will. James, a little bit of context on the situation. We need a bit of stability, do we, with the UK and Eurovision? Because Tap Music, that was two years, wasn't it? They came on board 2021. Yeah, there doesn't seem to have been a lot of uh, consistency with the BBC in the UK recently. You know, we go back to 2019 and then the BBC were using a national selection, which they had been doing for a few years, despite it being under a few different guises and a few different formats. Uh, then we go to 2020 and 2021, there was a partnership with BMG. Obviously, that really only lasted one contest because of the cancelled contest in 2020. Then the partnership with TAP lasted two years, but for one of those years, the head of delegation, an assistant head of delegation, uh, moved over to the contest production side. And now for 2024, there's going to be something new. So we haven't really had, you know, two years back to back of the same structure for, for the UK for what will be almost five, six years by the time next year rolls around. So yeah, a, a big lack of consistency. I don't want to be rude, everybody listen to this. I should say, if you are a new listener, hello, welcome, and we hope that over the next few months and years to come, we will become your favourite Eurovision podcast, if we are not already. James, shall we get to it then? Shall we hear what our experts think? Would you like to, uh, would you like to hear from, uh, from Nick and from Paul? Indeed I would, yeah, let's get to it. Well, let's get to it then. Here's what happened when I caught up with Eurovision expert Paul Jordan, and the brilliant music journalist, Nick Levine. Nick, Paul, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's good to be here again. Well, you both have the honour of being our first guests for the Eurovision 2024 season. We have assembled merely hours after the news that the BBC and Tap Music, of course, the record label, who have been responsible for finding the BBC's act for the last two years, are splitting. Tap will no longer be, be part of that BBC selection. Paul, you've been following Eurovision, safe to say, for an awful long time. People listening to this podcast know that. What were your initial reactions when you heard the news? I think uh, my initial reaction was disappointment. Um, The UK doesn't seem to have been very consistent in its approach. We've gone from national selection to internal selection, and I had high hopes when tap music were involved. Uh, They struck gold with Sam Ryder, and he's gone on to prove that you can have a brilliant career on the back of Eurovision. And whilst it didn't go May Muller's way in 2023, I still thought it was a brilliant song and it was kind of moving in the right direction. Um, And apparently tap music weren't meant to be involved for that long. Um, So perhaps, you know, this is a natural end, but it just feels very inconsistent. And if you look at other countries like Sweden, you know, they overhauled their selection in 2002 and it took them 10 years to actually win, including quite a few dodgy results in the mid 2000s. Indeed, their first and only to date non-qualifier. So I think we need a bit of consistency in a long term plan. And yet here we are again, twiddling our thumbs and not knowing what to do. Nick, you are someone who knows the music scene inside and out you know you are working with these labels you're interviewing the artists who these labels represent all the time remind us just how big a player in the music scene kind of tap music are and therefore potentially how much of a loss they might be to the bbc well i think the best way to kind of sum up how influential tap are are 
it's by looking at all the artists who came out to support May, like in the days leading to her performance, like every tap act posted on Instagram, wishing her good luck, including Lana Del Rey, who basically doesn't do stuff like that. Um, so yeah, tap are really big players. Uh, Lana Del Rey is one of their clients, Ellie Goulding. They worked until quite recently with Dua Lipa, who's basically the biggest British breakthrough pop act of the last five, 10 years. So yeah, it was really great having them on board. They are big players. Paul, how different was the relationship with TAP versus the relationship with with BMG? Because listeners to this will know that TAP aren't the first music label that have been involved with the BBC and selecting the UK's artists. Before TAP came, came BMG. What was the difference with the relationship, at least from the outside looking in? It seemed that TAP were really kind of in it to, in it to win it from the start, really. Yeah, I think so. As someone who wasn't privy to those discussions, I can only speak from previous experiences when I worked on the song contest. And there was often a tension between the record label and the artist management and the BBC. BBC were producing a show um, and they wanted people to watch on a Saturday night. They weren't necessarily interested in the artist's expression. And that's where you did see that tension between the staging of the event. I think certainly from an outsider's perspective, I think what they've done is they've allowed tap music and the artists to just do their own thing. I think the BBC, certainly when it came to Sam Ryder, gave him free reign. They clearly had a bigger budget. That didn't, I don't think, come from the BBC's budget. And as a result, you saw a better stage show and you saw that with BMG in, in 2021. You know, the, the staging of James Newman's song was really quite embarrassing, to be honest. And I think that was perhaps where you see that lack of investment in this staging coming through. I understand where the BBC are coming from. They're in a tricky position. But I think you really need to let the artists and the record labels take over that side of things. That's what they know how to do. And I think that's their area. And I think it shows when you let them do that. I think this is the the perfect time to to hear from someone we've heard from a lot here on the Eurotrip podcast. So this is Lee Smithurst. Of course, he was heavily involved, safe to say, in Eurovision in 2023 as one of the key BBC team behind the contest. Before that, of course, assistant head of delegation for the BBC at the Eurovision Song Contest. And here's what he said when he was talking to us after the decision had been made that the BBC and TAP would come together and just how important that relationship would be. As a BBC, you need a label to be able to fund this properly. That's a good thing. And then we're TV producers. We make television shows. We don't necessarily have the right music industry context. So you need someone like Ben to be able to do that second half of the the jigsaw to make the two things come together. Nick, we've just heard there from Lee saying how important a label is especially when it comes to funding and entry we know that these things cost money safe to say that yeah that is that is very much the case yeah and I think if we think about this positively what Sam Ryder has proven and actually I think May Miller might prove as well as the as the year goes on is that Eurovision is a really good springboard um and so hopefully labels will see the investment that TAP made with Sam Ryder and how that's paid off and to an extent with May I mean obviously the performance didn't didn't go down that well on the night but it did become a UK top 10 single off the back of Eurovision which you know there aren't many new kind of pop artists in the UK who can have a, a top 10 single which isn't a you know a collaboration um you could probably name female artists female pop artists in the UK who can do that on one hand so early days from May like her album's coming out in September so we'll have to wait and see how it does but it does suggest that even if the performance doesn't go quite as well as you'd hoped it is a really good springboard and a good investment for a label. Paul, you, you have touched on this already. Do you need a label to succeed at Eurovision? 
Um, not necessarily, but I think you need to have those three things we spoke about before. You, know, you need the song, you need the singer, and you need the staging. And when all those three things come together, that's when you get the results. UK has sometimes had one of the three or two of the three. And I think in order to get that staging, you probably need the investment of a record label or some sort of funding. And BBC can't be seen to spend a lot of money on that. And um, I understand why. But at the same time, you look at other countries, they really do invest in this area and it pays off. I'll put this to to both of you. So I'm really interested to hear what both of you think of this, because I think this is probably a question that a lot of people listening to this will be wanting to know the answer to and might have their own ideas as to what the answer is. If the UK had done better in 2023, would this relationship be existing beyond 2023 into 2024? I know we don't know for sure, but I'm just intrigued to, to know what you both think. Nick, I don't know if you want to go first and then Paul, you can come in. Yes, we don't know what's been discussed behind closed doors with TAP. My suspicion is that a lot of effort was put in this year and a lot of things actually were done right. We can see that from outsiders, like elements of the staging were really good. You've got a a performer who's got a great personality and had written a great song. So I think a lot of effort was put in, um, a lot of creative effort, probably a lot of money and lots of things were done right. But yet you can see how when a lot of things are done right, but not quite everything is, you can get what's on paper, a very disappointing performance. And I think that's probably what prompted Tap to think, yeah, maybe this isn't for us again. Yeah, I agree with Nick. I mean, it's just purely me guessing, but I really can't imagine if they were top three, top five, uh, they would have walked away. I think they probably looked at all the investment and thought, we don't really need Eurovision in the same way. Um, it's a great shame, but back to the drawing board. But I just wish we were more consistent. We've done, you know, BMG stopped it after two years. And now here we are again, Tap after two years. I just dread to think um, what it's going to be like. I really don't want the national finals we had five or six years ago. Um, But let's keep an open mind. Maybe things have changed. Well, we will look ahead in just a little while to who knows what what might happen, what options are available to the BBC later on for, for 2024. But let's actually go back. Let's go back. Let's go back to the autumn of 2021. So this is in October. Uh, We were fortunate enough to hear from Ben Mawson from Tap Music here on the Eurotrip podcast. So this is just after the announcement had been made that Tap would come on board. And here's what Ben had to say at the time about what he hoped to achieve with that relationship with the BBC. We want to do something the British public is really proud of. And we don't want to see Eurovision as you know, a boom or bust night for the artist. We want to see this as a platform for for development and for a for a career. So they might be. I don't. We don't know yet that there'll be a new artist. But if they are, we want to make sure this is going to be a really positive experience and that it's a it's the start of um, a, a, a career. To be honest, I'm not really too focused on 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 the past and what's been missing. What I do think is that the British public, there's I think there's a general cynicism. A negativity in the UK about Eurovision, which isn't shared in Europe. Huge all over Europe. Everyone takes it seriously. We don't. We're going to take it very seriously and we're going to apply everything that we apply to the development of an artist and finding the right song. And obviously it's Eurovision specific, so there's things to be taken into account there. But I don't really, um, I don't, I don't, I don't know, but I, I do know that there's that negativity, I think, in Maybe it's a natural British desire. You know, there's, a, there's something about the British psyche that likes to be a bit cynical and and knock things down. But I think what we want to try and do is get everyone really behind what we're doing, and we really really love the act. Not everyone's going to love it, but we be really supportive and try to get a positive vibe going into it. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, Paul, were taps successful? You've heard what Ben said there about wanting to, I suppose he didn't use the exact words, but to change the perception of, of Eurovision in the UK. Did that happen? I think it's probably too early to say. I think it's only two contests, but certainly looking at Sam Ryder and the star he's become, um, perhaps that's a, a good omen. Uh, but I, I just think after two contests, it's it's too early to say. I'd like to think it has changed the perception, but change takes time and sometimes years and years. So, um, yeah, I hope that's true. Um, I think certainly with Sam and May, they did a good job. But, uh, yeah, it's just a shame that uh, <laughs> they've gone. It's interesting, isn't it, Nick, hearing there from from Ben where he said, you know, it's not necessarily about getting a good result. We've just a couple of minutes ago talked about maybe it wasn't getting a good result that's resulted in the end of this relationship. Safe to say that maybe things changed or did the UK actually do too well too soon in almost winning in 2022? I wonder if that's part of it. I think, you know, if Sam had come about 10th or something, like a really good kind of, you know, top half of the leaderboard finish, but not super high up. Then maybe this year wouldn't have seemed quite so disappointing. I think to I think for Tap it would have been quite hard to go from you know second to to second last. Um, and I, yeah, I do wonder if maybe Sam's performance hadn't been quite so amazing that maybe they would have kind of given it a few more years. That's an interesting point actually. So if we look forward then to 2024, you know we're talking at the very start of August. The, the Eurovision cycle hasn't quite got underway yet looking ahead to to Malmo and everything we're going to see in May next year Nick I've already asked you this question but I almost want to ask it again with a a slightly different angle I guess do the BBC have to search out another record label for 2024 is it something they should be doing or are there other options available for them to be able to harness the power of the UK music scene I think they probably should be seeking out some kind of partner, whether it's a label or a management company, because, you know, they've got limited resources. I mean, the BBC aren't a record label. Have they got the expertise to seek out, you know, a Sam Ryder level talent? So I think I would be very surprised if they weren't looking for some kind of partner, to be honest. And one of the big things, Nick, as well, is about that that artist management side of things, but also about being able to look after the artist after Eurovision as well. That's one thing that I know that Lee Smithers has spoken to us about in the past. You know, the BBC don't have the resources to offer that artist support once the contest is done. That's a really key part, especially in terms of encouraging and persuading an artist to be part of the Eurovision project. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, if you think about what happened to May this year, she came away with a result that she was disappointed with. And so was, you know, everyone. And 
she's she's responded on Twitter to some of the criticism she's had. She's responded very bullishly because I think that's her character. But, you know, some artists would really struggle to kind of go onto a huge platform like that and then maybe not get the result they would want. So, yeah, the BBC definitely owes a duty of care. And if they can't provide that in-house, then they need to find some kind of, you know, management company or label who can. I mean, it's interesting now, record labels historically have maybe not looked after the mental health of their artists that well. But I have heard recently that uh, at least two of the majors in the UK now have basically like in-house therapists who look after, you know, artists in a, in a way that previously, you know, they wouldn't even have thought about. Paul, you're you're nodding along there. People listening to this can't see that, but you are nodding along. So, I mean, what's what's your thoughts about what the BBC should do next? Yeah, I agree with what Nick just said. I think it's really important. And what we've had over the past few years is sometimes artists literally been dropped like a hot potato on the Sunday when they arrive back in London. Um, You know, they're all of a sudden in the media. And then the Sunday when they come last or second last or, you know, bottom five, they're, you know, the producers of the BBC go back to their other shows and their other jobs. And the artists are literally left to pick up their own luggage and go home. And that must be very, very hard psychologically as well if you've built yourself up to this big moment. If you've not got that support network around you or if you're not that experienced, we've seen that in previous years and previous UK entries. So it can be potentially very damaging. And in fact, one of the previous UK entries um, from 2015, she no longer uh, is in the music industry because she found it so, so difficult. And she found the the backlash and the onslaught from social media really hard to deal with so there is a duty of care there but whether there is a resource within the BBC as Nick said that remains to be seen but I think it's good that we're talking about it and I think it's positive the fact that we are already talking about what we can do to keep this momentum going let's see I think um, we've got a really good opportunity here to look at what we can do next year but um, it's tricky because the UK audience they watch Eurovision regardless of whether we do well or not. Paul if we if we separate ourselves just for a, a moment from the, the BBC and TAP conversation and just focus on the BBC. Really interesting to see what the BBC do this year, given that so many of the key members of the team behind the BBC and the UK's efforts in 2022 weren't part of the, the UK effort last year because they were obviously putting on the contest. People like Andrew Cartmel, Lee Smithurst, you know, loads of other people. So it'd be interesting to see what does happen this year, won't it? Whether those people come back into those positions, whether the BBC goes in a different direction. It will be. And also it'll be interesting to see, as I say, in terms of the effort, the budget. You know, it was a big, big year for the BBC with Coronation, with Eurovision, with quite a lot going on. Um, it will be interesting to see what they do. I think it might have given them a bit of hunger, I'd hope, you know, staging the event. Um, certainly at a high level in the BBC, they were talking about, you know, we need to be doing better. They they were on record saying that, you know, I think 2021, when they came last, you know, I think that was a wake up call. And the media coverage was interesting as well. They weren't blaming politics, they were blaming the BBC. Uh, so I do think they are going to take it more seriously. Um, and hopefully the knowledge that everyone gains by hosting it will stand them in good stead for next year and also for staging the acts. Nick, is is this year a make or break in terms of the reputation of, of Eurovision and the perception of Eurovision, not just with the public, but also with the, the wider music industry in the UK? Because Eurovision seems to be going through a bit of a moment right now. It'll be interesting to see whether that continues when we're not hosting the contest and after a, a 25th place finish. I mean, I think the main boost was that the fact it was being held in the UK. That's what really kind of, um, you know, 
got you know i think people who probably haven't paid a lot of attention to eurovision for for a long time really got involved because of that i mean my dad who's in his 70s like i remember the morning that may's track premiered on radio 2 he like texted me asking what i thought of it my dad's never done that before like that's really wild um but no i don't think this is make or break because i think that uh, you know as we've discussed change takes some time but i think the perception it has 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 improved to such an extent in the last couple of years that I think going forward, there will be some enthusiasm um, this year. I mean, May's performance was bad on paper, but I don't think anyone would call it embarrassing the way we would talk about embarrassing staging, embarrassing performance in the past. It just didn't quite work. Um, so I feel like a prospective artist would not be put off coming, you know, coming in, you know, putting themselves forward for Eurovision. Um, interesting, you know, I uh, interviewed uh, Rina Sawayama uh, in, uh, it was probably May, and I asked her what happened with Eurovision and she said that basically there was an approach made to her I presume from TAP she took a while to think about it she didn't say how long she got back and then she never heard any more so maybe May had been put in place by then but that shows that someone like Rina Sawayama who's a very kind of like really well respected um, up and coming artist is you know was willing to do it you know she was up for it before May and I reckon um, going forward, we'll see that. I think if you're an up-and-coming artist looking to take yourself and sort of getting buzz within the industry, but actually becoming a kind of household name, someone who could have a number one album like Sam did, then if Eurovision was offered to you, I think you'd have to say yes, unless you really felt that the pressure would be too much for you. Nick, I'm gonna have to gonna have to go back on something you have just said. So you can debunk that myth that turns out wasn't a myth that was, of course, huge on social in the run-up to Eurovision 2023. Rina Sawayama did say yes to Eurovision. What she actually said was that, yeah, she was approached. Um, she got back to them, and then she never heard any anything else. That's what she said to me. She didn't say like, oh, I took two weeks. I took three weeks to get back. She said, I, you know, I got back to them after thinking about it. Nick, Paul, just before we wrap up, you know, hypothetically, you are both the BBC in this scenario. You're you're working out what we're going to do next. It's the at the time we're talking, the very start of of August. Paul, what? should be the first thing on the BBC's list for Eurovision 2024 right now? I think getting a management group or getting a label involved, someone who can pay for the staging, and then also having on on the radar the ability to sing live under pressure. Huge. And it needs to be part of the package. Nick? Yeah, I th- yeah exactly what Paul said. Like Finding some kind of partner, being absolutely clear about what, they, what kind of artist they want, and it has to be someone who yeah, can deliver kind of a, a Sam Ryder or, well, I mean, I don't think many people in the country can deliver a Sam Ryder quality vocal, but let's say 90% of that. Wow. It'll be fascinating to see what happens next. Nick, Paul, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And I'm sure it won't be the last time you join us here on the uh, on the road to Malmo 2024. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Euro Trip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. So, welcome back then. This is our emergency episode of The Eurotrip Podcast. Hopefully, we will fast become your favorite Eurovision podcast. If we are not already, we are back with you slightly sooner than we expected. I promise we'll be back with the 2024 season in just a couple of weeks' time. But James, we're here discussing what might happen next after the announcement that the BBC and TAP Music, the record label, 
will be ending their partnership. They brought us, of course, a second place in 2022 and 25th place in 2023. Second and second last, <laughs> shall we say. Second and second last, absolutely. So you have to wonder what's next, really, don't you? Yeah, you do. And there's been loads of discussion online already since the announcement. We're chatting just a, a couple of hours, aren't we, after the, the news broke. And I've already seen Eurovision or hashtag Eurovision trending on, on Twitter. You know, the fact that Paul and Nick have uh, given their time to chat about this topic in August when Eurovision really isn't at the top of people's agendas. Shows that there is uh, an appetite for wanting to know what's coming next. And I'm sure, as you heard there, Nick and Paul coming up with suggestions and, and ideas and, and theories and, and that sort of thing. But that question will be on people's lips for however many weeks or months to come before the BBC announce what their plans are for 2024. How are you feeling about it? We've not asked how you're feeling about it, or indeed, how, I've not said how I'm feeling about it yet. I mean, for me, I'm a little bit nervous, because of course, it is now just a step into the unknown, isn't it? It is. We've been through this quite a few times over the last few years. My initial reaction was shock, because I think people probably thought this deal would continue. Uh, you know, Sam Ryder bringing home second place, perhaps May Muller was a bit of a little blip, but of course... We were never going to be able to top what happened with Sam Ryder in 2022. So, yeah, I was a little bit shocked, maybe a little bit concerned. But then, you know, we have to think, is it always the countries who are consistent with their approaches who succeed and win at Eurovision? I guess the answer is yes and no. You sit on that fence, sir. <laughs> no, I'm think, I'm trying to think. I don't know the, the, the stat off the top of my head. How often does a country win? Does it have a consistent approach? If we look back, well, think think about think about Italy, right? I mean, I appreciate San Remo's its own thing, mm. but Italy consistent tend to always do Sweden. well. Sweden consistent tend to always do well. So there is something to the consistency, but then you have to say the other end of the spectrum: Germany consistent, consistently bad, mm. unfortunately. So you just don't want to be like that. Exactly, you know, you've, and you've got to come with the right approach. You know, when tap music came in, that was their first ever foray into the world of Eurovision, and gave the UK its best result for for twenty five years or, or or whatever it is. So, you know, a new direction may well be the right direction. Uh, whether they go for a new record company or whether they go it solo, which of course they did with Junior Eurovision, the BBC's first uh, participation in the junior contest back in uh, 2022 last year uh what they, they won the televote there with a with a song that wasn't attached to a record label so let's not be too down in the dumps about it maybe they've already got a plan in place they want this news to be announced and out there and then they're going to come and swoop in with a with a big announcement soon we, we, we really don't know do we we do not know at all thank you everybody for tuning in uh, for this hastily arranged bonus episode of the Eurotrip podcast if you want to get in touch with your own thoughts and to give your thoughts on what you've heard at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. We're also on threads. We haven't had the chance to say that yet, James. <laughs> Are we? I'm not on threads myself. I wasn't too sure if we were. <laughs> we're on threads. And of course, James, we're on TikTok as well. I know you're going to be uh, popping out some, some bits of the conversation with, with Nick and with Paul as well and very quickly we are wrapping up but we have to mention what nick had to say there about rena sawiyama little bonus uh, tidbit for you on the podcast oh yeah asked to do eurovision but then didn't end up happening in the end it was a big rumor as well like over the over the winter last year wasn't it that she could potentially be doing it but it sounds like it may well have actually been happening yeah really really interesting thank you so much for joining us everyone really really appreciate it and james we will be back 
in two weeks time with the new series of The Contest and Me, where we speak to some of the biggest names from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest and find out all about why they love Eurovision so much. So we'll be back with that very, very soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. So, uh, James, from you, do you want to say goodbye? Yes, please. Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) And from me, it's goodbye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.